You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. So last week, we began our series in the book of Joshua, a book where we see God's great power and faithfulness to his people in what look like impossible circumstances. And that's a message we really need today. Really looking forward to the next installment that Pastor Zach is going to bring us today. Uh, But before we hear from him, we're going to read our Bible passage for today. Um, We are so thankful to have Jason Rees reading for us today. Um, So would you please open your Bibles to Joshua 2? And if you don't have a Bible, please chat to our welcome team after the service. They would really love to give you one. Let's pray for the reading of God's word and then we'll hear it read. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant us that we may in such a way hear them, read, mark, learn and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you've given us in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Is that on? Yeah. Strap in for an engineer's reading. This is going to be pretty dull. All right, so Joshua 2, 1 to 14. Um, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and lodged there, and was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, the men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I uh, did not know where they came from. Oh, sorry, where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at, the dark, sorry, at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you, you will overtake them. But she had brought them... Uh, up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of the flax that she had laid in order on her roof, on the roof. So the men pursued after them uh, on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Uh, before the men lay down, she came up to the, uh, sorry, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that um, the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all of the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea uh, before you when you came out of Egypt and when you did uh, to the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, uh, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, Our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, uh, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my my brothers and my sisters, and all who belong uh, to them. And deliver our lives from death. And the men uh, said to her, 
our life for yours even to death. Uh, if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, imagine, if you will, in the cover of darkness on September, in September 1940, 12 spies, uh, 12 Nazi German spies set out to cross over from uh, France across the English Channel and into the UK. In their suitcases, they have a Morse code transmitter, a map of the UK, a handgun, and some invisible ink, just your classic spy gadgets. Their mission paved the way for an invasion. However, there are instant problems. The uh, spies that were chosen for this mission, for some reason, didn't have uh, a great fluency in the English language, and they also weren't uh, really well trained in sort of your classic British customs. Uh, So a few of them are caught and arrested very early on. A handful are arrested trying to order a cider at a bar at 10.30 in the morning, not knowing that during wartime, publicans in the UK weren't allowed to sell grog until after 12.30. Also, a few more were caught riding their bikes on the wrong side of the road in Scotland, and when the police went through their suitcases, found German sausages and Nivea hand cream, a dead giveaway. (laughs) This is a true story of how these Nazi spies attempted but failed to uh, go into the UK and get their information for this pending invasion. The mission was a bust. Last week, Mike uh, was preaching on chapter one and it sort of landed on a bit of a cliffhanger. Will the people obey and succeed? But then this week, chapter two, it's almost like an interruption in the narrative, in the actual plot of Joshua. We could actually read the end of chapter one and go straight to chapter three and we wouldn't really miss much from the whole story or plot of Joshua. However, As we dive in today, we will see that there is a very significant and important reason that the author of Joshua put this chapter in here where it is. It'll be interesting for us to see, you know, what it would have meant to ancient Israelites as they read back into the story of Joshua. And I'm hoping that as we see it, it'll be really helpful for you and me today. If there's one thing you remember from this sermon this morning, I hope it is this, that God's people are to actively trust God's promises. God's people are to actively trust God's promises. And to help us understand this unlikely story, we'll walk through four points that stand out. Firstly, Israel's unlikely mission, God's unlikely choice, Rahab's unlikely faith, and Israel's unlikely confidence. The first thing we see is Israel's unlikely mission. When we read Joshua 2, it seems like this mission, just like the Nazi spy mission, is also a bust. Open your Bibles, Joshua chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one, so please go and see our welcome team afterwards so we can put that in your hands. But let's check out just these first two verses of Joshua 2. And Joshua, the son of Nun, said to the men secretly... um, sent, sorry, two men secretly from Shudim as spies, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. That's a laughable attempt at being spies. 
Within two verses, they're already identified as people not belonging to that country and they're hiding from the king of Jericho. And this situation is probably even worse at the moment than the ordeal of the Nazi German spies. They're already hiding and this king already knows that they're there. Now, one of the important things that's taking place with uh, these spies being sent and the author telling us about it is the contrast that he's trying to draw for us. If Hopefully, our minds are being prompted to think about uh, Moses sending 12 spies into the land um, back quite a number of years before this event. And in those days, Moses sent those 12 spies. You can read about this in Numbers chapter 13. Two came back with a good report, which were Joshua and his friend Caleb. The other 10 came back with an extremely negative report, and it wasn't just a negative report, but it was so negative and um, despairing and depressing that it turned the entire nation of Israel against the very plans of God, and they ended up rebelling and resisting against God's plan and ended up in the wilderness for another 38 years. And so there's this tension in the narrative here where the author is telling us that Joshua is now sending two spies in. What kind of report are they going to bring back? Is it going to be a a good report that gives the people courage to go into the land and take that according to the promise that God has given? Or is it going to be another round again of a negative report that puts the people into a negative and rebellious mind frame and attitude against their holy God? We might also be uh, tempted to ask at this point about Joshua's faith. Surely it's enough for Joshua that God had told him in chapter 1 that God is giving him this land, that God is promising it to him. God has said, go into the land and I will give it to you. Surely that's enough for Joshua. So why does he send the spies? And we might be tempted at this point to think Joshua's being unfaithful. He's not trusting God's promises. But I think it's worth seeing here that while we do fully trust the sovereignty of our God, we have also been gifted with brains. We've been gifted with wisdom and the ability to have common sense, to think through how we're going to approach things. Look at this. I completely trust that my days are numbered in God's sovereign hands, that God knows my days and I will not live one more day past God's time. However, I check the road both ways when I cross. God's given us common sense. He's given us wisdom. And so to look at Joshua and think he's being unfaithful here, I think is unfair. And we can actually even just think, you know, all he's doing is taking on what he saw his predecessor Moses do, which was send spies in to check the land. So he sent them in. They're going to check it out. Uh, And it's also a great indication of uh, Joshua's heart. He's actively trusting God's promises here. He's heard God's promise that God will give him the land, but now by faith, he sends spies to gain information for their invasion. However, as we've already noticed, they've already been identified, they're now hiding, and are completely at the mercy of this character called Rahab. This unlikely mission seems a bust. And now we meet Rahab, the main character of this particular episode, a rescuer for the spies. She had hidden them, as verses 4 and 6 tell us, on the roof under some stalks of flax. Which brings us to our second point, God's unlikely choice. We're meant to be struck 
when we read the Rahab is the main character, the, the champion, effectively, of this chapter. She's a woman in an extreme, over-the-top patriarchal society. She's a Canaanite, a prostitute, possibly even a temple prostitute. She most likely owns her own brothel. She's a polytheist, which means that she believes in many, many different gods and, as is the custom of these pagan Canaanites, would sacrifice in horrendous, heinous ways to all of these many gods. And yet, God chooses Rahab to be the vehicle of great faith and hope for Israel and for you and me today. Now, this would have been really confronting for later Israelites to read. In fact, John Calvin says that it is indeed a regular practice with the rabbis when they would consult for the honour of their nation presumptuously to rest or distort the meaning of Scripture and give a different turn by their fictions to anything that seems not quite reputable. The idea that Rahab was a Canaanite prostitute and yet given the privilege of being named in the royal lineage of Jesus, which we can read about in Matthew 1. This would have been astounding for ancient Israelites to read, and it's a little bit astounding for you and I to read today. However, what we can see so beautifully and wonderfully clearly from this text is God's unfathomable grace. Come with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul, writing to these churches, he says... Chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Church, this is our story. Not one of us in this room, whether you're sitting here this morning uh, completely sure that you trust Jesus or if you're here with us this morning not knowing if you trust Jesus yet, this is our story. This is where all of us have come from. This is what all of us were born in, what all of us are unable to get out of, in and of ourselves. But check this out, continuing on verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This is also our story. If you're a Christian here this morning, yes, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, unable to do anything for our own salvation, unable to do anything to bring ourselves any nearer to the goodness and power and wonder of God. And yet God has done this for you and I on our behalf. Because of his great love towards you and me, he has done this for us. And what's incredible is that we're seeing in our text this morning that he's obviously done this for Rahab as well. It should, ask us, it should make us ask sorry, some extra questions, though. It is confronting to read Joshua 2, and we're confronted by the fact that we are being told about God from a Canaanite prostitute. 
And it should make us ask, when we look around our pagan, sinning world, what do we see? Do we see people who are too far out of God's grace? Do we see people who are unable to come to Jesus because of their lifestyle, because of the choices they've made? Do we see the world around us is so broken and so unable to possibly be saved that we just push it to the side and put it in the too hard basket? Or do we look around our world, our pagan sinning world like God the Father does and see fertile soil for repentance, redemption, and reconciliation. Dale Ralph, Dale, Dale Ralph Davis says, the church is not a club, but a refuge for sinners who have been touched by the grace of God. Christian, as we recognise where we've come from this morning, as we see ourselves in Ephesians chapter 2, that all of us were dead in our trespasses and sins and yet brought to life by the goodness and grace of God through Jesus... Surely we can see that there is that mission to go out into all the world. I understand not all of us were probably Canaanite prostitutes in our former life. But our hearts were all just as far from God as Rahab's was. And yet God in his love and mercy brought us near to himself in Jesus. If you're here with us this morning and you don't yet trust Jesus... I want to welcome you especially. Thank you, for, thank you for coming to church. That's quite a brave step. I want to encourage you this morning by letting you know that there is no sin that you have possibly ever committed that is outside the realm of God's gracious ability to love you and restore you and bring, him, bring you to himself. There is no sin that you can commit, no thought that you can think, no action that you can do that is outside of God's gracious ability to save. If God can save Rahab, God can save all of us. If Rahab's sins aren't outside God's ability to forgive, then our sins aren't outside of God's ability to forgive. If Rahab can be welcomed into the very people and family of God, then you can be welcomed in as well. And that's what leads us to our next point, Rahab's unlikely faith. Because the reality is Rahab had no business trusting God the way she does. However, that's what happens. Come back to Joshua chapter 2, reading from verse 8 through to 11. This is, uh, Rahab begins to speak. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, the Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God... He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So this is astounding. This is a Jewish confession on the lips of a Canaanite prostitute. And how, how could this possibly happen? Well, Rahab had heard of the might of Yahweh, Israel's God. She had heard that the Lord had 
dried up the Red Sea, which you can go and read about in Exodus chapter 14. She had heard what Israel did to Sihon and Og, those two Amorite kings, which we can read about in Numbers 21. This was the basis of Rahab's faith. It wasn't Rahab mustering up something inside of herself in order to bring her to God, but it was a a gift of faith that Paul mentions uh, a bit later in that Ephesians 2 text in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. It was the powerful word of God's mighty power, his mighty acts, saving Israel and helping Israel to cross over and be in those places, which gave her faith. Again, the Apostle Paul gives us insight into how this works when he says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, Sure, you might be able to argue from there. Well, Rahab didn't explicitly hear the word of Christ, but she did hear God's mighty power to save. She heard of God's salvation. That's God's salvation back here in the Old Testament, how he's, he's leading the people, he's giving them victory over their enemies, he's the one who's removing the water from the very sea that they can cross over. And in our day, through Jesus, we have been saved by God's mighty power through Jesus. Friends, hear the mighty power of God for salvation. Our God, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to live perfectly the life that we could not live, to die sacrificially on the cross, the death that you and I deserved to die. And God raised him to life triumphantly, that we too might have Christ's life. If you're a Christian here this morning, hear this message and be encouraged that God has brought you to life in Christ. If you're not yet a Christian here this morning with us, if you haven't yet decided to put your trust in Jesus, then hear this message. God has worked powerfully to grant you salvation hear this message of God's saving act on your behalf and believe. Now, what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to have faith in God's mighty salvation? It means that we trust God, that we actively trust God's promises. And how do we know that Rahab trusted God? Well, the New Testament actually tells us. The author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, he said that by faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. She had heard of the power of God, that he alone was the God of the heavens and of the earth, and she trusted that God would give this land into the hands of Israel. Rahab is also shown to have had exemplary faith in James uh, chapter 2, where the Apostle James tells us in verse 25 and 26, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Church, James is trying to show how our faith in God for salvation is not an idle faith. It's an active faith because it doesn't just agree that there is a God, but faith causes us to live in such a way that we trust God will do what he tells us he 
will do. Hence the main point of this chapter. God's people are to actively trust God's promises. Take this stool for an example. I know that this stool can technically carry up to 150 kilograms of weight. Now, I'm about 90 kilograms of weight. Give or take a few kilograms. <laughs> Intellectually, I know that this stool can hold my weight, but I have not placed my trust, my whole faith in that stool until I actually sit upon it and it holds me up. And that's much the same as what we're being told to do here by James. We, Rahab, we see in Joshua, had welcomed those spies in. She had heard of the mighty works of God. So she had this intellectual understanding and knowledge of the fact that she can put her weight, her, she can rest in God. But then she actively does that by acting different in the culture around her and by giving these spies a welcome and sending them out by a safe way. She puts her faith into action. She was no longer conforming to the culture of Jericho, no longer worshipping, uh, being a worshipper of many pagan gods, but now a worshipper of the one true God who is the God of the heavens and the earth. Theologian David Jackman commenting on what happens when we encounter the might of God, he says this, either there is faith in the greatness of the Lord and a casting entirely of oneself upon his mercy, or there is a fear which determines to resist God's supremacy, challenge his will, and continue to fight against his purpose. And this is what James is meaning. True faith is a faith that works. It's not a faith from works, it's a faith that works. It's a faith that rests completely upon God's might and mercy and trusts that God will be true to his promises and his character. When the culture around us is saying that our bodies are completely our own, that our sin is simply just self-expression, that we can do whatever we want to do or be whoever we want to be, an active faith in God's promises says to that culture, no. It says, I'm made by God. I'm made for God. It says that my sin is not the freedom of self-expression, but sin is slavery to the evil one. It says that God has a plan for my life to honour him and to glorify him, to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. Finishing out his thought in Ephesians 2, Paul says in verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Rahab was gifted a faith, and it was a faith that was active. She heard the might of God, she welcomed the spies, she redirected their pursuers, and she sent them out by a different way. She promised to remain quiet about these spies. She tied the scarlet cord in her window according to their agreement and she trusted the promise that her household would be spared. Rahab had to rest her faith in Yahweh's mercy. In the face of likely death, Rahab exhibited unlikely faith. Three years after those Nazi spies bungled their mission into the UK, UK Two German Christian siblings are executed 
uh, for attempting to take down the Nazi regime, Hans and Sophie Scholl, a brother and sister with incredible convictions against dictatorship and oppression. They had bravely begun a secret organisation called the White Rose that worked to take down the Nazi regime through non-violent means and were actively distributing leaflets that spoke out against Hitler and his government, and it was born from their convictions of faith in Jesus. These two students were eventually captured and then within a few hours found guilty and given the death penalty. And in a, a rare show of compassion by the Nazis, the parents were allowed to visit their children in prison and the active faith of this family is powerfully demonstrated in their last words to one another. The parents come to their children in prison and the mother says to her daughter, Sophie, you'll never come through our door again. To which Sophie replies, oh mother, but what are those few years anyway? Then her mother says to Sophie, remember Jesus. Sophie replies, yes, you too. And Sophie is taken away. Church like Rahab, like Hans and Sophie, we too must actively trust God's promises when we are facing difficult times, when the future seems unknown, when the culture around us wants to celebrate and champion attitudes that we know don't honour God, don't honour his word or hold true to his character. This is when we must actively trust God. Although we might be shunned, we might be excluded and marginalised. You've only got to imagine that Rahab probably feared for her life every moment post that agreement up until she was rescued. Spoiler alert. Actively trusting, we must actively trust God's promises by loving others, shining the light and love of Christ by our conduct. And that is how we, as God's people, actively trust God's promises. This is just as true as when we are facing good times. It can be tempting to forget God's promises when life seems to be going great. But we can actively trust God's promises by praising Him, by giving Him thanks in the midst of those good times, daily reminding ourselves that we only have what we have because of God's kindness towards us. And so James credits Rahab with this kind of active faith. We're to read Joshua 2 and be amazed, to be in awe of God's might and God's mercy, that he's the one that powerfully saved the Israelites. He's the one who powerfully brought them through the Red Sea. He's the one who powerfully gave them the victory over those Amorite kings. He's the one who powerfully grants us faith through his own goodness and kindness. He's the one whose mercy that we can completely rest our entire lives on because he loves us and has brought us to himself. And we see this in the beautiful picture that God would choose a Canaanite prostitute to proclaim the might of God, to give the spies this encouragement to take to Joshua and Israel. And church, this is why chapter 2 is plugged into the narrative at this point. It's on the eve of the nation crossing the Jordan River and the beginning of that crossing as we encounter in chapter 3. God in his kindness is giving the Israelites an unlikely confidence. 
The spies agree to the terms and after following Rahab's instructions for their safe departure, they return to Joshua and they give this incredible report. Keep in mind, this report is being contrasted to the report that came from those 10 spies back in Moses' day. Joshua 2, verse 23 and 24. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Truly, the Lord has given all the land into their hands. This entire episode, this unlikely story of what seemed to be a bungled spy narrative turns out in God's goodness to be a great means of giving strength and courage to actively trust in God's faithfulness to his own promises. The nation of Israel is ready to cross the Jordan. As the band comes, let's pray. O God most high, most glorious, the thought of your infinite serenity cheers us, for we are toiling, troubled and distressed, but you are forever at perfect peace. Your designs cause you no fear or care of unfulfillment, but they stand fast as the eternal hills. Your power knows no bounds, your goodness no end. You bring out of confusion and out of our defeats are your victories. The Lord God of unending power reigns. We come to you as sinners with cares and sorrows to leave every concern entirely to you, every sin calling for Christ's precious blood. Revive deep spirituality in our hearts. Let us live near to the great shepherd, hear his voice, know its tones, follow its calls. Keep us from being deceived by causing us to abide in the truth, from harm by helping us to walk in the power of the Spirit. Father, give us greater faith in the eternal truths, burning into us by experience the things we know. Let us never be ashamed of the truth of the gospel, that we may bear its reproach, vindicate it, see Jesus as its essence, know in it the power of the Spirit. Lord, help us, for we are often lukewarm and chill. Unbelief mars our confidence. Sin makes us forget you. Let the weeds that grow in our souls be cut at their roots. Grant us to know that we truly live only when we live in you, that all else is trifling. Your presence alone can make us holy, devout, strong and happy. Father, abide in us. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.